Hey everyone and welcome to the Unconventional Podcast yet again. We've had a break actually, it's been about three weeks since our last podcast, holidays, kids and God knows what else, you know the, you know the feeling I'm sure. Um, today's guest is a lady by the name of Maddie Alexander Grout. Now Maddie is someone that I wanted to get on for quite some time, she is a, an adult diagnosed ADHDer like so many of the people that we've had on the podcast recently, uh, and someone that I know is going to certainly inspire action in myself over these next 50 minutes or so. Um, Maddie's also um, the owner of My VIP Rewards. Now, this is an affordable employee and member benefits scheme. Um, that supports people and the rising cost of living. Um, she's also a huge advocate for, for strong and positive mental health. Um, she's also a multi-award winning money specialist. How about that? So uh, a warm, warm welcome to you, Maddie. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're going to go into to your story in a lot more detail over the next 50 minutes, but just as an intro, give us a little bit about you why you started uh, My VIP Rewards and kind of the motivation behind it. Thanks for having me, Andy. Um, so my story is fairly long um, and I'll try and give you the uh, the abbreviated version of it so that nobody gets bored and, and leads the podcast. Um, but essentially, uh, when I was at university, I got myself in the biggest amount of debt um, known to man at £40,000 worth of debt because I had a spending addiction. Um, now, this spending addiction, I, I had no idea where it came from, but I just had this burning urge to spend money. I just wanted to buy shoes and clothes and takeaways and meals out. And I had this thing where I was just this massive people pleaser and I did everything for everybody else. And that involved me spending loads of money. So I started... I started out my journey into the working world being in £40,000 worth of debt, feeling incredibly ashamed of myself um, and feeling like nobody liked me in, in anything that I did. Like they, they, just, they just didn't want to, to be friends with me. They, yeah, I just, I just felt like, like I was a nobody. And I was different. And one of my biggest problems that I was a, I was a massive oversharer. So I would talk to people in the office about uh, about my sex life, about what I'd had for breakfast. I'd talk to them about my spending addiction. I, I would be constantly making people feel uncomfortable. And I didn't know why I would be talking about all of these things. And But I was just, I was unfiltered. And I thought that that was just me. I thought it was just my personality. And I got really upset when people didn't get me for for who I was. And fast forward to to now, um, you know, we're we're almost 20 years away from from when I had my debt problems and I've always had problems with spending. Um, I was I was actually really sort of going down the rabbit hole of diagnosing my son with ADHD. And the more I looked into it, the more I was like, that's me. Oh, that's me as well. That's me even more than him. Oh my God, I've got ADHD. What, what is this? And I embraced it. I fully embraced it. And rather than thinking, oh God, this is why I've been such a mess. I thought, this is why I've been such a mess. This is great. This is actually really good news. I am not 
somebody that people don't like. I'm not a massive oversharer. Well, I am still a massive oversharer, but I'm not somebody that is disliked. I'm just different and my brain is different. So I started my diagnosis journey and it's it's been great. So I, I've actually had a private diagnosis um, of ADHD. However, um, most people will, will know if they've had a, a diagnosis that you can't be medicated unless you go down the NHS route. So I've started my, my NHS diagnosis journey. The fact that I've had a private diagnosis is great because it kind of pushes the process along a little bit. Yeah. And rather than having to do all of the, the different steps and forms and stuff, I've got that diagnosis to say, look, I just need you to formally go ahead with it. So I think it's going to be, they've said six to eight months. We'll see. NHS is, is long. Um, but every day I'm learning something new about my brain. And I find it fascinating. Yeah. And rather than seeing it as a disability, I'm seeing it as a superpower. Yeah. Because I've I started a business. And with my debts, I, I ended up um, getting myself out of 40 grand's worth of debt by using several different money saving methods and different kind of debt consolidations. And what happened as a result of that was me realizing that I could fix my dopamine hits for spending by getting discounts. Um, so I started up a, a money saving app so that I could save money on all of the things that I felt impulsively urged, you know, urges towards buying. So I had a really bad Amazon thing. I mean, I was like, click, 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 all over Amazon, buying things all the time. And I I didn't know why, but it's it's that dopamine hit that yeah. I was searching for mm. that I've now replaced with getting a discount or shopping for yellow stickers in the supermarket. I find that when I get a bargain, it gives me a buzz. And I'm like, yeah, I found a bargain. Um, and that that has completely replaced my urge for going and buying a really expensive pair of shoes, which was what got me into the debts in the first yeah. place. Yeah. So it's it's been a really interesting journey. Um, and now I'm helping other people with ADHD to realize that they don't have to be spending money and not saving. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things where you speak to people and they're like, I do that. Mm. I do that, too. I do that. And so many people who have got ADHD have problems with money mm. because they can't stop spending mm. and they can't organize themselves. They find the admin side really hard, um, but hyper focusing on things that they enjoy, which is generally shopping and spending money, doesn't have to be expensive. So mm. my my whole business is centered around helping people who have got compulsive spending to be able to save when they do spend because there's no point in saying to people just don't spend the money because we can't we can't it's a it's a compulsive thing we feel the need that we have to do it yeah yeah i've um i've been there i i was a a, a big i wouldn't say i was in the and we'll we'll come on to that in a minute but i wasn't i wouldn't say i was in that realm because 40 grand when you look at it when you get to my age 40 grand when yeah, 25, you know, twenty late, mid-20s, um, plus another 20. Um, when you, 40 grand, you look at that and go, okay, well, a lot of people have got a 30 grand car sitting on the drive. A lot of people have got a loan for this or a credit card for that. It's, it's very easy at my sort of age to be 
sitting in 40 grand's worth of debt, but comfortably paying it off because you're earning money and whatever. Um, but at the age you were, how old were you when it was at that peak? At the peak, I was about 24. So 24. Um, yeah, yeah, didn't have a particularly good job. I was working in recruitment at the time, and my God, does rejection sensitivity dysphoria hit in when when you are working in a cutthroat environment like recruitment? Yeah. I would cry when clients said no to me, which which people just thought I was a complete and utter wuss, but I was just overwhelmed by the fact that somebody didn't want to buy what I was what I was selling. Yeah. And why? Yeah. Why did people not want to buy what I was selling? Yeah. I thought I was good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was hard. Oh my God. It it was funny because last two weeks ago when we did the last podcast, I had someone on that had ADHD and there was so much of what they were talking about that resonated with me. And I, I will come on to that later, but that must have been a really challenging time between, say, 24 when that, that debt had reached its peak and the point where that light bulb went off with you that said, oh my God. I'm actually ADHD. I mean, how long was that period? Because that must have been a really difficult period not knowing. Well, I just assumed that that was just me. And it, it, when the light bulb and the, the penny dropped, I it was almost like a bit of a relief. I was like, I and I'm not I'm not saying I use it as an excuse, but it is a reason. It's yeah. a reason why I've done all of these things. It's it's the reason why I get into my car and I listen to the same song on repeat for like an hour. Um, I just thought it was me being really weird, but no, no, it's my brain. Happy days. <laughs> I um I did, and again I've said this on two or three podcasts now, but I have to keep repeating it because every time I speak to someone that's that's got ADHD, I go down this track of I've got ADHD. Like, because everything, I mean, I've done the online test and I scored really, really high. And I even uh, spoke to um, a, a lady who is a private, um, she's a, she's a, I don't even know what you call it. What do you call it? A private um, practitioner. Um, she's a private practitioner. And she, I, I said, look, let's book an appointment. And that was months ago. And then the business kicked off and I thought, you know what? I can't really justify the money right now. So I'll, I'll give it, give it a minute. But every time I speak to people that are, I think, oh my God, like the thing, the, the spending thing, I have always had an addiction to spending in the sense that I like stuff. Like I'm very materialistic, but at the same time, and this is why I also did the autism test because obviously of my son, um, I also am a massive control freak. So I, I was like, I love spending, but I can't allow it to get out of control. It was like the two were fighting each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're probably quite lucky from that res in, in that respect because that, that has probably stopped you from getting in mm. as much trouble as, as I did. Did you know that the unconventional brand has three arms? The podcast you're listening to right now, Unconventional Apparel, where a percentage of the profits go to the National Autistic Society, and most recently, Think Unconventional, a social media company with busy business owners and CEOs in mind, putting your social media presence on the social media map.
Yeah, it may be, but then the, then you mentioned the song thing. Like both me and Jake listen to the same music over and over again. Like I get a song in my head and I just want to just keep listening. And then a new song comes on that's a really good song and that like five minutes ago I really wanted to listen to, but now I don't. Now I want to listen to that same one again. And that it resonates so much. It drives my husband absolutely mental if we're on a long car journey because me and the kids, we're exactly the same. Uh, so, and he's just like, why? I cannot listen to this song anymore. And we're all like, la, 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 like 20th time, still singing along to the same song. So so tell us, tell us then about, because my VIP rewards, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing that, that's the thing, that's the thing that I see all the time. That's the thing that you pitched Stephen Bartlett on when you saw him last weekend. Um, how did that go? How, how was that? How did that conversation come about? And how did he seem? Well, I was absolutely so I, I tried when during his his talk, I had a question. Well, when I he started talking about his company culture, and how he looks after his employees. And at that point, I stood up and I put my hand as far in the air as I possibly could. And I was just like, I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question. And what I was going to say was, Stephen, I want to give your team free employee benefits um, for the next year because I love what you're doing. And, you know, I just thought, you know, if he shouts about it, then that would be really great. It it will give us a bit of exposure. But nobody picked me. And I felt a little bit disheartened. Um, And then I realized that I had a VIP pass. And I thought, oh, I'll go and hang out backstage and I'll go and try and speak to him. Um, Turns out that he didn't actually go backstage. First of all, he went straight out front to the crowd. But what happened um, was I went backstage and I met Simon Lambert, who is the uh, the, ed- the the money editor for the Mail. Uh, right. So I had a chat with him and I was just like, oh, it's really exciting. You know, I was actually really excited about the fact that you were interviewing him because you're the sort of person I want to connect with and kind of make make friends with. Um, so I bought him a coffee. We sat down, had a chat and then um I went out and we saw the queue for Stephen Bartlett and it was massive, really, really long. So I joined it thinking, oh, do you know what? I'll just go and get a picture with him. It'd be good for social media. And the closer I got to the front, I started psyching myself up and I wasn't sure what I was going to say. I had about 10 different things in my head and I was just like, what what can I say to him that's going to make him stand out and take notice of me? And I was wearing a glittery sequin jacket. And this glittery sequin jacket I've been wearing all day and it was really hot, but I just thought it's a conversation starter. So the first thing he said to me when I got to the front was, oh, I love your jacket. And I said to him, I love your culture. I love how you treat your staff. I think you're amazing. I think it's a really, really good thing that you're going out there publicly and talking about how you look after your people. And for that reason, I run an employee benefit scheme that supports small independent businesses. And I want to give your staff a year's worth of free benefits. He was like, oh, amazing. That would be really cool. And I said, and I'm also raising, um, you know, we're we're a money-saving app for consumers and we're an employee benefit scheme, both of which problems are massive at the moment. You know, rising cost of living is massive. We've got this this great resignation, so people need to look after their staff. Um, I said, Stephen, you said something during your talk. You said there's never the right time to launch a business. And I said, I completely disagree with you because my time is now. It is the right time for me and I want to send you my deck. He was like, that sounds really interesting. This is my email address. 
And I was like, whoa, mind blown, mind blown. I was like, Stephen Barlow actually wants to see my email. Like, and then the first thing that, that came into my head was, he's probably just saying that to everyone. You know, he probably doesn't want to see it, really. Like, he's just paying me lip service. Um, so I, I went away and I, I did. I thought, I'll work on my deck a bit. Like, it's the first time I've really ever sent it to somebody that's that's kind of really going to take notice of it. Um, and then I posted on LinkedIn. And I posted on LinkedIn yesterday. Yeah. And that post reached over 100,000 people. I was like, holy Moses. Uh, that is in, an insane amount of people. The only other post that I've done on LinkedIn that has made it to that many people was when I did a test to see whether or not um, I would get more comments and likes if I showed a bit of boob. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a high one. Um, it made it into the Daily Mail as well, which was quite funny. You should have nice. seen the comments. I mean, really, if I'd have read all of them, I probably would have wanted to kill myself. But I, I decided not to... to essentially i oh you should have you should have seen some of the messages i got but it but it was it was a good experiment and yeah. it worked um so stephen yesterday while i was driving the kids i got back from driving the kids to kids club picking them up even and i had a million notifications and i was like whoa something's gone on here and while i'd been driving stephen had come on he'd commented on my post say and he said i was amazing and i was like even that is great the fact that Stephen Bartlett said I am amazing and he's going to go and read his emails and go and read my pitch deck I was like he's even that that's that's it and I got an extra 400 followers and so many comments and so many likes it just went absolutely crazy so now I'm playing the waiting game to see if he actually see if he actually notices it and comes back but I would I would love to say that I think he is a man of honor and I think he will at least read it. Um, and I'm hoping that he comes back and gives me some feedback. I mean, I'm not expecting him to to invest in my business. You know, he doesn't know me. But if he gives me the time of day, he will know that I'm incredibly passionate. And I really genuinely believe in what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do. So yeah. time will tell. I think what I've seen of him um, on socials and TV and other stuff, I think he probably will read it. And I think he probably will respond um, because I think he he likes to be seen as as a man for the people. He likes to be seen as um, you know someone that is as that type of person. Um, I remember in the early days he used to he when he did his own social media, he used to actually comment uh, and and reply to my comments on his posts. And you kind of know you back then. I knew it was him rather than someone else. Yeah, and that, and, that, and do you know what? That was the other thing that went through my mind yesterday. Is it even him that's commented? I mean, it's his profile, sure, but did yeah. he actually go and comment? Does he actually know who I am? Maybe not. Um, and that was the other thing. But then again, is that me and my ADHD brain fearing the worst and not actually seeing the good in the situation? I think there is a chance that it wasn't him, but do you know what? I don't. I don't really even think that matters for me. That the most important part was that you actually went up to him, you pitched him. There were so many people at that event that probably wanted to go and talk to him, or other people there, and that didn't. That didn't have the guts. That couldn't. That couldn't get themselves together enough to go and do it. And you actually did, 
and you purposefully kind of went in there with a, a game plan. Well, eventually you did. Originally, it was just to come and look at my jacket. Yeah, it, it was a very last minute. I'm just going to speak and words will come out because I tried yeah. to re- almost rehearse what I wanted to say to him. And we, we had a good half an hour in the queue where I was just like, I don't know what to say to him. I don't know what to say to him. I don't know what to say to him. And it just came out. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I just did that. I am one of the reasons why I'm so terrible at going and trying to get investment for my business is because I take rejections so harshly because I genuinely believe in the product that I've got. And when people say to me, oh, no, you know, I'm not interested or it's not for me, I really take that to heart. And over the over the last year, I've had so many knockbacks and that's that's difficult because how do you find the confidence and keep going with something when somebody's told you it's not very good I mean it's nobody's told me it's not very good but they've they've not invested and for me I'm like it's such a good product why are people not investing I'm an investable entrepreneur why are people not investing um so for, for Stephen to even say it was a good idea and I I don't think that he would say it was a good idea if he didn't believe that because he he doesn't pull any punches when he's on dragon's den if he thinks something's not a good idea he says it so mm-hmm. i think he wouldn't pay me lip service even though in my brain he probably did but he probably didn't <laughs> i i think in this modern day that we live in it is a great idea i think that the challenge with so many great ideas is and there are many of them it's are they marketable um and are they being marketed in the right way it's like that whole thing about it's not always the best product that wins it's the product that was marketed the best that wins uh, or the person that was marketed the best that wins um so i think your product is a good product like especially now more now than ever what i love about it though is that and i've only really found this out more so on this um call is it's inspired by not just making money like you haven't created this because you saw an opportunity to for you to get rich off of other people's I guess misery (laughs) because they need to save money the ADHD in you drove it it did very much so and I, I actually thank my ADHD on a daily basis because I don't think that I would have got through the pandemic without it because all I saw was my end goal and I like like I had it like and people often talk about when when they have ADHD they have a motor inside them that makes that propels them forward and I had that because during the pandemic we had a product that didn't work uh, people couldn't go to the high street people couldn't go out for dinner they couldn't go to theme parks they couldn't support local businesses so essentially we had a product that was completely and utterly null and void it didn't work but I didn't let that stop me I just kept carrying on and I thought this is going to work it will work and it has to work because it's my baby and it's my idea and when I focus on something I am like a dog with a bone I don't stop Um, and I knew that it was going to be something that would be needed in the future I just didn't know when and I'm so glad that I kept pushing and kept pushing. 
you know, during the pandemic, there was nobody that was going to buy a product that you couldn't use because it's all about getting discounts on your everyday living expenses. And people were just at home. So they weren't needing that. But now people are out. And one of the things that I say to people is, you know, we want people to enjoy the quality of life that they had before lockdown. We want people to be to be spending money because the worst thing you can do in a recession is actually stop spending Mm -hmm. because money needs to flow. Um, If money flows through the UK, everybody will recover faster and the economy will recover. So in my mind, I've got a I've got something that helps people to save money. It helps people to have a good quality of life. It helps employers to engage their people and support them, which they should be doing anyway. Um, and we've, we've just bought in um, full employee assistance program, parenting support and menopause support as well, which wow. really, really helps employers. And we've got this great resignation. People are not staying in jobs. It's very hard to recruit. People are struggling to attract and retain the right staff. And I'm not saying that our product is the be all and end all and is the answer to everything. It's not the holy grail. But it's something that is tax deductible. So you can offset it against your tax bill. So essentially, that makes it a very, very good idea. Mm. And it helps your people. It puts an extra £500 plus in their pocket without a pay rise. Mm. That's got to be good. Mm. So we, so I know that despite the fact that we've had a really crappy last two years, I know that we're going in the right direction. We just need because of the fact that we've had such a crappy two years, we need somebody to come and see what we're doing and, you know, maybe just give us a little bit of a capital injection so that we can go and execute it in a mm. better way. I think um, it, let's, let's kind of shift it to, because you talked about their employers and employer benefits and the great resignation. How, in the years before you decided to do your own thing and you were working and you were employed, how did your well at the time you didn't know about your ADHD but how do you feel employers back then um kind of engaged you understood you or did they not no (laughs) I was a very unemployable person Uh, (laughs) I was in a really good job for five years really good job in recruitment and I had a bit of a falling out with my boss mainly because he messed up so badly and I felt like I couldn't come back again so what happened was I was quite quite large I used to be a lot larger I was a good 15 16 stone and I said out loud in the office one day I'm I'm trying to lose weight I've lost a stone and a half a stone and a half in the last six weeks and we were eating a picnic in the office because it was like a Friday thing. Everybody bought food in. It was just a, a nice thing. And I said, no, I'm OK. I don't want any because I'm trying to trying to get thin. And the next thing I know, I was sat at my desk and my boss barged me out of the way. He literally pushed me. And I was like, what is going on? And he was fiddling around on my computer and I saw something flash up that had my name on it. And then it was no longer there. So I thought he's playing at something. So I phoned IT and I said, I think my boss has just deleted something. Can you um, can you get it back for me? So they got it back for me. They retrieved it. And it was my boss sending an email around to my entire team, including two people that I managed. Um, a picture of a blimp, you know, one of those big, yeah. massive hot air balloons uh, with the tagline underneath. Maddie just told us that she's lost a stone and a half. Ha, ha, ha. And... 
I was devastated. I genuinely felt like my boss had completely ruined any credibility I had with my team. And he knew he'd messed up because he brought me to one side and he was like, go home, go home and think about it. You know, think about what you want to do. And I was like, I want to take you to HR and take you to the cleaners, mate. But I decided that I was a bigger person. So I handed my notice in and I left. The worst thing was, is I absolutely loved that job. I was good at it. I was earning good money. The culture was lovely. It was a really good place to work, apart from said boss, mm. who until that moment in time, I thought I was friends with. So actually, that was me. Biggest rejection. I felt horrible. And then I spent the next six months job hopping because I couldn't find the right culture for me. I didn't fit. It was like a round, a, a square peg in a round hole situation. I just took jobs because I needed a job and none of them were right for me until I started working in my last job before, um, before I ended up being self-employed. Um, I worked for the Manpower Group, who were an excellent employer. They were brilliant. They were supportive of me during my pregnancy. They were supportive of me when I came back to work. And when I came back to work, I had postpartum psychosis. Uh, which was the worst mental health condition as a parent you could possibly ever have. I didn't want to be around. I didn't want my son to be around. I was really volatile. And they saw something good in me and they invested in me as a person. They got me a coach. So I had a workplace coach and this guy was absolutely brilliant. He was just, he, he knew what my strengths were. And they created this job for me, which was all centered around people. So I was in, in charge of the employee benefits, doing onboarding and learning and development and basically anything that was to do with the people culture in the business. And I turned around the onboarding strategy so that we got people to come into the business and stay in the business. Because when I first started, it was like, there's your laptop, get on with it. And we changed it all, all around. And, and I actually, we were working for, um, for quite a large, a large client who was my my sole client that I was responsible for. And I changed all of their strategies and I moved all of their in-person training to e-learning, which I bet they thanked me for during lockdown <laughs> because it was all online. Um, and I won an award for that business. And then about six weeks later, I got made redundant because we lost the contract, which was which was really sad. Um, but it was it was a really, really, really nice place to work. So I've always been, I think, maybe I like to do things my way and I don't like people telling me what to do. And I always thought that that was just me being really headstrong. But I think that's potentially an ADHD thing mm. as well. Mm. I'd probably have to agree with that because that's the one thing my wife's always told me that is my downfall, which is ultimately why I now work for myself. <clears throat> and I think, you see, I think we all say we've become unemployable and I see that that term thrown around a lot um, especially on LinkedIn from entrepreneurs that have kind of gone it alone really struggled in the workplace and almost felt like they've got no choice but to go it alone um, but I think the company that you worked for that you've just talked about they've they kind of they kind of put that message to bed a little bit in the sense that probably everyone is employable and everyone should be employable because just because you've got ADHD or autism or you're neurodiverse in any way doesn't mean that you should automatically have to default to doing your own thing because there are a lot of people that can't do their own thing 
that just that it just isn't it, they're not capable of it in for one reason or another maybe circumstance so that company has kind of proved the theory that you can make the unemployable employable what what do you think it was about them that made them so different from probably 90% of businesses i think they i think they saw potential and they knew that if they worked with me in the right way that they could get the best from me mm. and all it needed was for me to have a little bit of support and guidance maybe they knew that i had adhd before i did mm-hmm. i think they were a very good employer and they recognized that not everybody you know we're not all robots we don't all have the same personality we're not all the same but what they did realize was that i had a massive passion for helping people and they utilized that by helping me i could help other people which actually massively helped the department it helped with recruitment it helped with retention and it also gave me the first step onto the rung of what the employee benefits world is like so Mm. it gave me that taste of what i could go and achieve myself and that's made me really proud. But but I, I genuinely think that companies who understand that their people have different brains, we're not all the same. You can't put us all in a mold and treat us all exactly the same way. It's like this working from home thing as well. You know, some for some people, working from home is brilliant. So I love personally, I love working from home. I I'm the sort of person as well. I'm, I'm a big empath. And I absorb people's emotions. So when I'm in the office, I, I kind of don't know what to do with myself because I've got everybody's vibes and I don't it, it overwhelms me. So me being at home, I get more creative. I feel like there's less noise and there's there's less buzz going on in my head. Like I've actually recently handed in my notice at my co-working space as well, because one of the things that I don't realize that I do, I overshare with everybody. And actually, that can be quite damaging to me in because even if even if I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about things that are offensive. I'm talking about raising investment or I'm talking about um, what's going on with my clients. But people don't want to hear that. And I'm very loud. Mm. I cannot control my volume at all, maybe because I get really passionate because it's my it's my baby and I love talking about it. Mm. But people around me don't want to hear that. And actually, then that ends up, you know, with people making complaints about me and I go, oh, I'm sorry, I was loud. I'm, I'm really loud. I can't, I can't help that. They tried to box me in in like a, a slightly soundproofed booth. <laughs> but even then I was still too loud. So and that's me. That's me thinking people don't like me. But it's not that at all. It's not that people don't like me. They just want to get on with their own work and they don't want to hear what I'm talking about. Mm. So. I've just just left and come back to working on my own at home because I can't offend people here. <laughs> Which is <laughs> do you do you sad. do you find that um, that the longer you've gone on uh, through this journey and since you found out about the ADHD that you've focused more on finding they say don't they finding your tribe that of people that are going to get you because I get the office thing. Um, I must admit, I get a lot more work done now that I work from home. I do miss the camaraderie of people sometimes, but I think you genuinely, most most of the time, you want what you don't have. And where I've been working at home now pretty much all year, like I haven't been in office since December. I mean, why would you want to? You've got all these amazing cars and bikes. and I know, but 
they don't talk to me back. Um, and every now and again, I kind of feel like I want someone to talk to. But then, and I kind of get why people use LinkedIn as that social element, like entrepreneurs that, that work at home all day on their own. And I, I get why they spend so much time on LinkedIn. Sometimes I question how they actually get any work done um, because some people are on there like a lot. Um, but I, I get it. Um, but do you feel, yeah, do you feel like in the last, say, two or three years since you've been on this journey that you've definitely gravitated more towards people that absolutely get you as opposed to that maybe judge you? Yes. And I've learned to be more resilient, more thick skinned. And I think knowing more about myself really helps me because I used to go to so many networking events and I am that classic talk too much, try and talk over people. I can't wait. for. I, I get impatient. I can't wait for people to finish their sentences. And then I walk away thinking, God, that was rude of me. Uh, I really I hope that person didn't think I was really rude. And then I go home from a networking event rather than being pumped up because I've been talking about my business and networking with people. I go home thinking I was rude and I talked over that person. They don't like me. And then the, that rejection sensitivity thing creeps in. And I find that now um, networking online is actually easier for me because you kind of almost get given a turn. And whilst I really, really hate waiting my turn with a passion, mm. um, when we when we were at Ideas Fest, we were we were talking to um really really nice nice guy who's the the founder of new covent garden soup and there were six of us sat on a table it was almost like a little brainstorming session and i had to wait until last and i was just itching to tell my story i was like oh god i almost at one point almost got up and walked away because i couldn't wait yeah. to tell my story um there was a point to that and i've lost it there you go weird trying to, <laughs> i even interrupt my own self so um but i, th I think the the point that i was trying to make is that now i feel like i've got a lot more control over how i run my day who i network with who i who i hang around with and i'm honest about it and knowing and understanding why you do certain things and embracing that helps you to push forward as a person mm. i think mm, definitely how would you say that because i think people's perception of adhd when they perhaps aren't educated around it or don't know anything is that you've just got no attention span you can't complete anything you jump from one thing to another and most all of those could well be true um, yeah in a nutshell they, they they kind of are um in in a way and although i 100% hyper focus on my business I get distracted so I started a second business so I've also got a parenting app um, now although it plugs in and it works really well with my product it was a distraction uh, I started a networking group that was a distraction like I'm constantly battling with my head that comes up with all of these new ideas and these new exciting plans and I'm like I should be doing that I should be doing that Whereas actually, that is that can be a really big downfall. So. <laughs> it's it's kind of like running unconventional apparel, think unconventional, and the unconventional podcast. Like I, I the I think unconventional is the one that pays the bills. Fact, yeah. but, but it's the, the br one. it's the brand, yeah. the unconventional the brand. brand. 
Um, and that's that's kind of that's what people know you for. And despite the fact that you're doing three different things under one umbrella, people will know you for that brand. Mm. I've actually got two separate brands, although they're together. And what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to hyper focus and bring them together. Um, but it, my attention span. Yes, I struggle. I really struggle to maintain attention on one thing unless it's something that I really enjoy. I'm absolutely god awful at admin. Um, I cannot do my own admin and I procrastinate over starting tasks. But I've realized that if I do them in short, sharp five minute bursts, it's better. Um, I do have problems. So I am a salesperson's dream. People come and say, people come and say to me, I'll oh, do this course, do this course. And I'm like, oh, yes, I will expand my skills and I will learn it. And I think brilliant idea. And then I buy this course and I don't start because I can't. I physically have that incapability of starting something yeah. unless it's serving me at the time. So I've got like four courses that I've bought and never started. I, luckily, they're all lifetime subscriptions and I know that I'll do them at some point. But I, I'm a bit of a sucker for that. Don't everybody come and sell at me all at once after listening to this. <laughs> I'm not going to buy. <laughs> um, but that's one of the things that I've I've learned about myself is that I get distracted by shiny objects and people come and sell to me and they're like, oh, look at this and they'll do this for you and we'll do that for you. And I'm like, OK, sign me up. And then I think that didn't serve me and I shouldn't have done it. So I'm really learning more about myself and my how I get distracted with things. Do you find that um, because I, I I get the the distraction thing I'm I'm terrible for it um, I have to now and this is I guess it's about learning those processes that help you get past it because I think when you were talking there I was thinking to myself when you know life isn't then about changing everything that you do in the sense that right I know I get distracted so I have to find ways to not get distracted that's almost impossible in fact it's probably completely impossible so you then have to go okay how do I work with that so with for me when I'm writing I literally shut everything else down so I haven't got LinkedIn open I haven't got anything else open I haven't got emails open or anything because I know I need to focus on that for maybe an hour where some people could focus on it for, say, six hours in a row and not even get off their chair, and I've known people like that, many, I do it for an hour, and then I think, okay, I'm going to do an hour of something else and then maybe an hour of something else. So everything gets done, but it gets done in short bursts as opposed to one long thing. Yeah, and, and I, I genuinely find, and you can't see this because well, Andy can see it, but I have my, my, my fidget stuff. So for me, it's a hairband. It's one of those telephone cables. When I was younger, I worked out that I could be on the phone to my friends or I could do things, but I'd, I'd be constantly there twiddling with the phone cable. And when this came into my life, it actually really saved me and it helped me to be able to stay on Zoom calls better. I, I it used to fiddling. be a pen. It used to be a pen, but I used to really, really pee people off by clicking. So this doesn't make a sound and I just constantly fidget with it with my hands and it stops me from biting the skin on my nails or picking at things on my arms. Like, cause I genuinely, people don't talk about this because people think, Oh, it's really gross. Like why do people with ADHD do this? But it's a, it's almost like, um, like having Tourette's and having a tick. You, 
you you do certain things and you don't realize that you're doing them so like I pick holes in the back of my head if I don't have this to fidget with so and and that causes me pain and it makes the back of my head bleed and I don't know why I do it but I do it so what would you um I'm not clicking this by the way like I fiddle with this bit and also weirdly and I've literally done it since I was a child and I could lift my arm and I still do it now and Linz takes the piss out of me all the time I I fiddle with my ear right but it's not the fiddling with the ear it's the feeling of the the edge of my ear like the rim of my ear in my fingernail like I've been doing that for like 40 years and I still sit there watching telly at night doing it now and I, I, I don't think I will ever stop. And, and Linz is convinced that my ears stick out further because of it. Because one does stick out further. Than, yeah, one does stick out further than the other one. Um, we, because time's obviously getting away from us, and I actually can't believe we've been on here for nearly an hour. Um, no, I don't even think it's that at all. Um, for anyone listening that has kind of suspicions of their own mindset and that you know that that, and they want to explore ADHD in terms of because they resonate with so much of what you're talking about the private uh, route that you took just go through that very briefly in terms of where you started why you did it and kind of how long the process was okay so it, it was actually a lady who contacted me. So I posted on Facebook um, about the fact that I was thinking that I might possibly have ADHD. And I got contacted by two different people, actually. There was a guy who sent me some links to some online assessments. So I did those, sent them back. And he said, yes, 100%, you need to look at this. I then spoke to this lady who basically she was really honest with me from the beginning. She said, we'll do your childhood markers. So we started off by going through all of my childhood. We went through my old school reports, which I'd never done before. And I was so glad that my mum had kept them. Um, my my favourite one was Madeline is inept at physical education. <laughs> Love that one. Uh, still to this day, terrible at school. Uh, but it was in almost every single one, Madeline would be really intelligent if she applied herself. Madeline struggles to concentrate, blah, 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 blah. And it was just, you know, Madeline gets very, very distracted by her peers. Uh, Madeline can't sit still in lessons, all of these kind of things. And they were all really, really clearly obvious. Mm-hmm. But back in those days, you didn't really get girls with ADHD. It was a naughty little boy thing. Yeah. And I was certainly not a naughty little boy. In fact, I was a very, very suppressed, um, you know, not not by my, my parents were amazing. They, you know, absolutely brilliant parents. I had a great upbringing. Yeah. But they thought I was allergic to artificial colorings because I would bounce around like the Energizer Bunny. Turns out it wasn't. But sugar doesn't help kids who yeah. have got ADHD. And I know that from mine, because if I give them sweets, within 15 minutes, they are vile. Mm. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> Let's not do that. So sugar-free sweets all the way and no e-numbers. Um, but I wasn't but I wasn't allergic to artificial colorings. I had ADHD and it was just not there. So we started yeah. off with all of these things. Um, and she put together kind of a picture of, of, of my journey and where it was very obvious that I had I had symptoms. Um, and she said to me, 
yeah, you know, I, I can diagnose you in as, in as much as I can tell you you've got it, but I can't prescribe medication. Yeah. So for that, you're going to need to go down the NHS route. So I decided at the time, which was about three months ago, I thought, no, nope, I'm happy with just knowing that I've got it. I can manage it in my head. But then the more I go on TikTok and see videos of people talking about how medications change their lives, I'm like, could I do with quietening my noise a little bit? I think I probably could. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think, do you know Mark Gaysford? Um, so obviously he got diagnosed with ADHD a couple of years back at 52. And he took me- he took medication for a week. And he then came off it. And he basically said, and, it, and I know it's different for everyone, obviously. But he basically said it it suppressed key things that he wanted suppressing. But it also suppressed everything about him that made him him. Yeah, and that's what um, I'd be worried about. Yeah, I like me. I like me, ADHD or not, I'm happy with me. And and actually, I'm happier with me for the first time in 38 years. I am happy with me as me because I understand myself better. Maddie, this has been um, a wonderful uh, way to spend an hour, to be honest. And uh, another, uh, yeah, another podcast that's kind of made me steer even closer to actually going and speaking to someone about myself. Um, I don't know whether I should continue doing these actually, um, but I, I think I should. Yeah, it is therapy. It's absolutely therapy. And actually, every time I speak to someone, I find that there's someone else in my tribe that actually gets it, um, which is great. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. No, you're more than welcome. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when it's uh, when it's live. Thank you.